0: Lord God, we pray that you would open our hearts now, that you would give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, pour out on this place. Lord, give us eyes to see, hearts to believe. Lord, bring conviction. Lord, bring understanding. Lord, don't leave us unchanged. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to hear what you have to say to us as your word is proclaimed. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. 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 Hey, once again, I'm so glad that you all are here with us today, Freedom School family. You know, we're, all, we're here all summer, and then it's like it just stops. And, and we thought, why don't we get back together? Like, let's get back together again, and you guys can kind of, we see what you do, and you can kind of see what we do, right? Um, so we're really glad that you're here. Uh, really, really glad. It was so good to have all, all the young people up here singing. Wasn't that awesome? Man. I love it. I love it. It's okay to clap. It's okay to clap. And it's okay to, it's okay to talk, too. It's all, it's all right. Um, amen. Thank you. So, we are in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 today, and, I, and the question of the day was this. What is the victorious Christian life? What is the victorious Christian life? And if you believe what you see on Facebook, and if you believe what you see on YouTube, and if you believe what you see on the Instagram and the social medias, and if you believe what you see sometimes in church, the victorious Christian life looks something like this. Can we get the the next picture? Hey, sorry, no shade on Creflo, but a little bit of shade, a little bit, (laughs) just a little bit. Uh, because, because sometimes the victorious Christian life is, is presented as health and wealth and prosperity, and all of that is focused on the outward, right? All of that is, is focused on the outward experience. And I know from talking with some of you earlier today that you don't believe that. But these are the lies that are being told to you day in and day out, that, the, that prosperity— and health and wealth are what define the what? Victorious Christian life. Are y'all with me? Now some of you may not be convinced and that's okay it's not my job to convince you it's God's Word that will convince you. I want to give you a different image. I want to give you a different image and it's an image of the Apostle Paul in prison. And, 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 I, and I want to go to the next slide. This is not a picture of the actual Apostle Paul. But that's kind of what I think he looked like when he was in prison. With his hands lifted high in adoration and praise of God. With his heart filled with joy and his mind rejoicing at what God has done in his life. And does he look like he has a Bentley? Does he look like he has a lot of good health? Does he look like he has a lot of prosperity in his life? No, because that is not, brothers and sisters, How God defines the victorious Christian life. The victorious Christian life, God tells us, is that you can have joy in the very worst of circumstances. That you can rejoice and be glad and have thanksgiving when your sister died this week. This is the victorious Christian life. It's not what they are lying to you about. It is not what you think it is. In the opening of the letter of Philippians, which is just a letter, y'all, it's just a letter to a church written by the Apostle Paul, the church at a town called Philippi in modern-day Greece. This letter was written, and it opens with these two huge reasons why we should embrace God's perspective of the victorious Christian life. Two reasons why we should be grateful and joyful and rejoice in all circumstances, whatever they are. And here they are. The first one is this. We are not who we used to be. We are not who we used to be. Look at the first two verses if you could pull that up on the screen. Let's uh, follow along. Look in your Bible. If you have your Bible, I'd really like to encourage us to look there, to look down at your, at your word. If you don't have it, you can look at the screen. And this letter begins with what we normally end a letter, right? We normally end a letter by saying, sincerely, JP, or Sincere- sincerely, uh, Mr. Grant, you know, or whatever. Um, but in those days, they opened the letter with the person who was sending it, okay? And so it starts like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That's who it's from. Okay, that's the sincerely at the end, but now it's at the beginning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the opening of the letter. And in this opening, we see a clear picture of this promise, this hope that we are not what we used to be. We are not what we used to be. And maybe it doesn't jump out to you at first, but let's break it down, okay? So let's take a look. Who is it from? It's from Paul. It's from Paul, who was personally commissioned by Jesus to lead the early church and to take the good news of Jesus to the foreign peoples of the world, okay? And so he was to take the word all the way as far as he could take it. The Apostle Paul, that was his job. He was an eyewitness of Jesus' risen body, he was an apostle an eyewitness of God's resurrection. And it was from Timothy. Timothy was uh, one of Paul's disciples. He was one of his, uh, he was right-hand man. He went with him, he helped him, he assisted, and he was learning to teach and to become ultimately a pastor. And so you have Paul and you have Timothy. And if you know Paul, you know that he was an apostle. And when you think of church leadership, the apostles were at the top. Right, But how does he introduce himself here? Does he say, Paul, an apostle of God, bow down to me because I've got it all together. I have a nice car. Bow down to me. I'm an apostle. No. What does he say? He says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm not who I used to be. Because, see, Paul did used to have that attitude. But Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Right, Paul was a, a great and mighty leader in the church, but when Jesus came into his life, all of his pride was broken down. All of his arrogance was broken down, and suddenly, because of God's grace in his life, now he's a servant, a doulos. It's, it's the lowest of low. It's, it's as low as you can be described. He's a, he's a servant. He's not who he used to be. And what about the church? What does it say? It says, to all the saints. Now, when you think of a saint, what do you think of? If somebody's a saint, we say Mother Teresa was a what? A saint. Right? We think of who? We think of people who are super spiritual, like they are always at church. (laughs) Right? Maybe your grandmother, you might think of your grandmother as a saint. Because she's a praying woman and she is on her knees and she is at church. And maybe you think of uh, one of the people from church history. And they're a saint. But what is, what is this defined here? It's, he says all the saints. Is he just talking about the spiritual people in church? No. Who do you think he's talking about? Everybody in the church. Right? Everybody in the church. So listen, if you are a Christian... You are a saint. And we've we've made that word so super spiritual that it's almost like unattainable, right? Oh, I could never be a saint. Right? I could never be a saint. But God says, if you have faith in Christ, if you're a Christian, you are. You are a saint. And you know what a saint is? A saint is just a person who's set apart for God. Another word for that is holy We sang about it just a moment ago, right? Holy, holy, holy. God is holy, and because he's holy, we're holy. We're holy because we trust in him. We're holy because we've put our lives in his hands. And so because we're holy, we are set apart, and we are saints. We are not who we used to be. If you were here last week, you'll remember that the church at Philippi was started by a businesswoman. It was started by a fortune teller who was demon-possessed until Jesus got a hold of her, and it was started by a prison guard. And so this church at Philippi was started by a a businesswoman who, let me tell you, a businesswoman in those days was out. She was not fully accepted by society, okay? Um, Today, we're like, oh yeah, a businesswoman. Back then, it was very different. A businesswoman A fortune teller possessed by, who was possessed by a demon, and who else? A prison guard. This is the church. This is who the Apostle Paul and who God says are saints. This is who God says are saints. This is a church of people like us. It's a church of ordinary Christian folk. We are not who we used to be. We are no longer uh, weighed down by sin and death, but we are set apart for God. We are saints, and we are servants. There's one really key phrase here in this first section in the opening paragraph, and it's this. It says, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. And this is so important because a lot of times in church, we think, I got to do better. We think, I got to I got to do all the right things to be right with God. But twice in here, it said, in Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we call ourselves Christians, right? Why? Because we are in Christ Jesus. That means that the Son of God who became flesh and dwelt among us, that by faith we are in Him. That everything that He is is now granted to us. All of his goodness, all of his righteousness, every good thing Jesus ever did, every miracle, uh, every person that he helped, every prayer that he lifted, if you have put your faith in him, that is yours. All of it is yours. That's what it means to be in Christ. It's we get his record placed onto us. We are not who we used to be in Christ. We are not who we used to be. Grace and peace, that's what we get. when we come come to faith in, in the Lord Jesus, we get grace, that means we don't get what we deserve. Right, we don't get what we deserve, we don't get God's punishment, but instead we get eternal life. And we get abundant life. And remember, that doesn't mean what you think it means. It means joy, even in the midst of like Paul being in prison. Incredible joy. So the first thing that God, the first reason that we can be grateful, that we can embrace the victorious Christian life is this, we are not who we used to be. And the second reason is this, we are not alone. We are not alone. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, I thank my God. For who? For you. He's writing this letter from prison in Rome, and he's sending the letter, and he's saying, I'm so thankful for you, Philippians. I'm so thankful for you because you you are my partner in the gospel. You are my partner. You You have been with me through thick and thin. Does anybody have somebody like that? who's been with you through thick and thin. This is what Paul is communicating. He's saying, not only uh, am I not who I used to be, not only are you not who you used to be, but we are not alone. And if the last two years have taught us anything as American Christians, as world Christians, it's that we cannot be alone. We cannot be alone. We must be together. Church is not just showing up and showing out. It can't be that. It has to be about relationships. It has to be about what God calls us into, one another's lives, right? Because God calls us into a relationship with him and with one another. We are not alone. Can you feel Paul's enthusiasm in these words? I thank my God. Every prayer of mine, he's overflowing with joy, right? He is overflowing with thankfulness and gratitude to God for these people that he loves. He is thankful for them because he is not alone. And if you know a little bit of the context or the background, you'll know that the Philippians, this church has supported, they were a small church, but they supported Paul with their prayers. They supported Paul with their financial offerings. In fact, they had sent one of their own to visit with him in prison, right? And to bring him a gift to encourage him, to pray for him. We're going to read more about that later in this letter this fall. But his relationship with them was not top-down. There's this really key word here called partnership. And the word partnership is a Greek word, koinonia. And most of the time, that word is translated Fellowship. And if you look at our shirts, mine's a little sweaty, but if you look at at our shirts, it says fellowship on there. That's the same word, partnership. So you could think of our church name as New City Partnership. You could think of it as New City Partnership. What? Because we are coming together around this message of God's grace. We are coming together around this message of hope that we do not get what we deserve, but we get mercy, we get grace. We're coming together around this message that God himself became flesh and dwelt among us and lived and died and rose again so that we could have life, so that our lives could be transformed, so that we don't have to stay stuck in the old patterns, That, that we can be liberated from that, we can be freed from that, from the sin that holds us down, not by our effort, but by what? By God's mercy, by his grace, by the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And y'all, that is the partnership. That is the fellowship, right? It's not uh, hamburgers and hot dogs. I mean, sometimes it is. But that's not it, right? It is the fellowship, the koinonia, the, the partnership that we have because we are trusting Christ. You're trusting Christ, I'm trusting Christ. You're trusting Christ, I'm trusting Christ. And do you see how that brings the high and mighty down and how it brings, in society's terms, the high and mighty, the wealthy, the rich, the powerful, the amazing, how it brings them down and how it takes the low and the despised and the rejected and the poor and it lifts them up. You see, the good news of Jesus does this. It brings us all to the same place. That's what partnership is. That's what fellowship is. It's all bring, brought to the same place that, you know, Jesus was like, I mean, the, the disciples were like, take the children away. And Jesus said, no, bring the children. That's why we want kids up here, right? Because they demonstrate to us that the good news is not just for those of us who have it all together, but it's for kids who struggle with school and struggle to obey their parents. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right. And parents who struggle at work and struggle to get a job, struggle to to keep a job, that in all of our life circumstances, God brings us to the foot of the cross, and that the foot of the cross is level ground. It's level ground, and that means that we're all in it together. It means that there's a partnership in the gospel. That's what he says, right? I'm so thankful, Paul says, for your partnership in the gospel. Let me give you an example. It's like HBCU Homecoming. It's like, it's like homecoming at SC State, which I have been to, okay? I'm not a grad, but I've been, raise your hand if you're a grad. I know there's a couple of you out there, okay? Now, y'all correct me if I'm wrong after church, okay? Not right now. But homecoming at an HBCU is a unique experience. Homecoming at an HBCU in an SE state in particular is a unique experience. Why? I think the reason for this is because students are coming from around the state from different situations where they are really in the minority as a black student for the most part. You are in the minority. You experience the feeling of being on the outside. But when you go to college When you get to SC State and you do all the things that you do, which I can't do, the dances and the moves and the lines and, uh, you know, what does it do? It brings you together, right? And you experience something of being liberated from, from something painful in your life. For a time while you're at college, you are with your people and you get to experience your culture unadulterated right? And it's just, uh, good. That is a little bitty picture of what it means to be a Christian. That is a little bitty picture of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because brothers and sisters, we live in a world (laughs) where we are outcasts, where we are, we don't fit in. This world is what? Not our home, And so when we come into God's family, when we come into church, this is happening, right? The rich are made low and the poor are made rich and and, and we get to enjoy fellowship. It's on the t-shirt. We get to enjoy partnership in the gospel. And that's what Paul is so excited about and that, y'all, is the victorious Christian life. Yes, it's all right to clap. The victorious Christian life is knowing it is knowing that we are not who we used to be. I am not a sinner anymore. When I was an 18 year old, I was standing at a gas pump. I was traveling with a, a speaker, a guy who was a, a, a speaker. He traveled around the country and spoke at different camps. And he was an evangelist, really. And I was like his Timothy. And so I was traveling along with him. His name was uh, Michael. And I remember that summer I was really struggling with some sin, some patterns of sin in my life, some temptations that were still beating me over the head. And I, and I couldn't escape them. And I got really, really angry and frustrated and sad about it. And I remember standing at that gas pump. I had, I had tears coming down my face because I was thinking about it. I was thinking about not being able to overcome my struggle. I was thinking about how big a sinner I was. And my friend Michael noticed that I was crying. And he came out of the car and he stood beside me and he said, JP, what's, uh, what's wrong? And through sobs, I think, I said I'm just such a sinner. And he grabbed me by the shoulders, like this. <laughs> and he looked at me with his big eyes, and he, he has a real deep gravelly voice, and he said, repeat after me, I am a saint. In Jesus, I am a saint. And I did it. I repeated it, barely. But more than just repeating the words, I believed it. I believed it in my heart that even though there are issues and things and sins and old struggles that keep coming up, right? Uh, they keep weighing us down, and we, and we never are perfect in this life. That's not the victorious Christian life. It's not finally overcoming sin. It's being in Jesus Christ. It's being declared, even though I know I'm a sinner, a saint. It's having that weight lifted, and it's knowing the freedom that only Jesus brings, and The fellowship, that we are not alone, that church should be even better than a homecoming. It should, and it can be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, Lord, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your word, Lord, we thank you for sending the apostles to preach the gospel and to to have these words written down so that we can now read and and, and hear and experience your message directly uh, to us through the scripture. And Lord, I thank you that you have given us an encouraging word today. Lord, that we uh, can experience the victorious Christian life no matter what our circumstances are. And they may not even change. We may die in prison, so to speak. But Lord, your goodness and your grace has made it so that we are not who we used to be. We are no longer sinners, but we are saints. We are no longer proud, but we are servants. We have received your grace and your peace, and we are not alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.